have a good night. Nope. nope. Don't have a good night. That's yeah. a weird thing to say. <laughs> All right. Thank you, everyone. Oh, let's work. We find each other. That's what yeah. we need to wrap up yeah. with. Sorry. Okay. So <laughs> let's all, let's say where we can find, where, no. Okay. Welcome to Feeling It, a podcast where we discuss TV, movies, pop culture, and whether or not we are feeling it. If this is your first time joining us, welcome to the show. And here we go. Come on, walk and talk. Wanna hear something neat? It's showtime! Hold your ears, folks. Here we go! See what you can do now. Take your position. All right, ladies, buckle up. Let's do this. Hold on to your butts. Seriously? Listen to me very, very carefully. Hey, it's me again. Eat them up. Enjoy. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome to Feeling It. Each week on this show, we like to share what pieces of pop culture we're really feeling. Whatever show, movie, song, or tech we just can't get out of our heads. This week, however, is not a normal week for us. This week is our top 10 films of 2017 episode. So instead of um, individual recommendations and then a main topic, we're going to skip all that and just give you a long conversation about our top 10 movies. Are y'all excited? Yes. I am very excited. This might be (laughs) my favorite episode, I think, that we do through the year. Um, so let's introduce ourselves before we get started with, you know, listing all of our favorite movies. Um, when you do introduce yourself, answer the question, what was your favorite movie going experience of 2017? So not your favorite movie, but the experience surrounding seeing it. Uh, I'm Lucas Ryder, designer from the Bay Area, and my favorite movie going experience of 2017, um, was going to see The Big Sick. Um, I went to the theater and it was sold out which i was really surprised because this is like a week after it came out and so i waited for the next showing and i went to that one and it was also so like i made it in but it was also a sold out showing and it was packed full and everybody laughed it was so it was like a just a great communal experience you could tell everybody was like really excited to be there um and a lot of the theater was um a lot, I, I, a lot of Pakistani people. And so it was really cool, I think, for, like being with a, a lot of people getting to see themselves represented on screen. So it was really neat. That does sound so wonderful. Mm-hmm. Lawson, why don't you introduce yourself? I'm Lawson Soward, an art director in Nashville, Tennessee. And my favorite movie going experience this year was going to see Star Wars The Last Jedi. Um, I went to see the opening screening uh, the night the Thursday before it opened, how they're doing those kind of screenings now. And it was so fun. Uh, My brother-in-law was in town and there was like six other of our friends from church there. And it was, uh, we got good seats and we got to see every audience reaction, every, you know, frame for the first time without any of it being spoiled. I hadn't seen any of the trailers pass a teaser for it. It was just an incredible, super fun experience. And I walked out of the theater speechless and everyone was just so so excited and amped it was great thank you for that um my name is sandra Amstutz. i'm a social media manager in nashville tennessee and my favorite experience of the year was i got to go to a preview screening of get out that came out about two or three days before get out was released nationally um and so because those free preview screenings are usually packed full because everyone wants to see a free movie. And um, so it was a packed house and it was just a, a loud, excited audience. And, you know, 
we were seeing it, you know, days before it was released. So truly nothing could have been spoiled for us. It was a very, <laughs> very fresh audience to see it with. Um, and I saw it with my friend Linda and we just, you know, were in awe of it once we left the theater. And part of that has to do with, you know, the crowd we saw it with. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So like I said, we're going to be going through our top 10 films of the year. Before we do that, I think we should all kind of say, what are some of the movies that we didn't get a chance to see that we were really hoping to before we recorded this podcast? You know, we can't fit all of them in. Um, so I do want to find out from y'all, what movies did you miss out on that you were really hoping you were going to get to see? Yeah, I think for me, the three movies that I really thought I was going to get to see and that there's a chance they might make them on make it on my list um, were BPM, God's Own Country, and The Square. Um, all three movies I just missed in theaters and never got around to finding. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. When I look at um, Letterboxd year in review for you guys and compare my number of movies watched, it's like <laughs> half. Uh, so there's a ton of movies I feel like I missed um, that were a really big part of this year. And so that's something I want to say up front is I'm pretty sure my list, like this is going to be a letterbox list after this episode drops and it may evolve after this. Um, I love every movie on my top 10, but um, I have a feeling there's some movies that I will like more. Um, so one of the ones that I missed that I really wish I had gotten a chance to see were uh, Your Name, Mudbound, Florida Project, Shape of Water, Mother, uh, Molly's Game, and a documentary called The Work. Um, those were all movies I was really anxious yeah. to see and I thought might make it on my 10 and just, I didn't have time. Yeah. Um, I love to try to see as many movies as possible. And this year, I think might be the year I've seen the most new movies in one year, you know, two thousand, you know, movies that were released this year mm -hmm. and I watched, um, I was really on top of my game this year, especially with, you know, movie pass coming out that helped a ton. Mm -hmm. Um, and yet there are still movies I didn't get to see, um, a couple of them I never had access to. You know, they haven't come to Nashville yet. They're not available online. Um, so the two, those two are Film Stars Don't Die in Liverpool and A Fantastic Woman. I could see either of those easily being in my top ten, and I just don't have access to them. Yeah. Um, ones that I do have access to that I just didn't make it to are Last Flag Flying, Oakja, The Meyerowitz Stories, New and Selected, Wind River, and Beatrice at Dinner. Um, I would like to at this point state that I have also not seen either of the movies y'all mentioned. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> yeah, add all those to my list too. Okay, so do y'all know how many 2017 movies you've watched this year? My grand total is 31. 31, okay. Yeah. So we're gonna hear about a third of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a third of them. Uh, mine was 61. Yeah, good. I had a goal. And I'm counting all of January as part of this year because that's when I did a lot of my watching. Um, and that's when I had access to a lot of them. Um, I had a goal this year, and I just hit it last night. Um, I watched 75 movies this year. Well done. Man. You did it. Really excited about that. And I, I, who knows if I will actually get it done, but I think I want to try to go for 100 next for oh, 2018. Wow. That is ambitious. Two I think if I start now, no, though. Like if I start now knowing that that's my goal... Mm -hmm. Yeah, two movies a week. That's a piece of cake. You can do that. <laughs> yeah, it was surprising to me when I started looking through the movies. I was like, I, surely I saw more than this. I feel like I spent a lot of time at a theater. Surely right. I saw more than this. But no, 
Oh, All right. Well, let's not delay it anymore. Are y'all ready to do, to do top tens? Let's do let's it. Let's do it. Okay, we're gonna start with you, Lucas. Oh, what is yay. your um, number ten movie of the year? My number ten movie is Darkest Hour. Um, this was a movie I knew I was going to love. Um, everything about it speaks to me. Uh, old British white people. Um, World War II. It's just perfect. Um, I don't know anyone <laughs> who loves old British white people as much as you do, Lucas. It's true. It's true. <laughs> oh, man. But this movie is about doubt and about pride. Um, and I think that's like two things that I would not have expected from a Winston Churchill movie. Maybe pride, but um, the mixture of doubt and pride, um, I think really works well in this context and obviously joe wright is an amazing filmmaker but i think this film was a film that i didn't expect from him uh it's beautiful and it's dark it looks like a renaissance painting all of the backgrounds are always super dark and you just have the the uh kind of the foreground lit really well it's it's a really really great movie and i just i, I want to caveat i had five movies that i knew had to be like at the top of my list and then i had I think 10 movies on their own that were equal amounts great for me. And so this is the one that I decided, like, this is my capper. This is where I have to end here. So Darkest Hour at number 10. <laughs> you know, okay, Lucas, I'm, I am excited to hear you say this. Darkest Hour is that is a movie that I didn't see this year, um, partially because I didn't have time and partially because I chose not to. Um, it was a movie I was going to solely because I love Joe Wright so much and I mm -hmm. love his movies. Yeah. Um, the subject matter doesn't really interest me that much. The controversy with Gary Oldman kind of turns me off on this movie, but Joe Wright is truly one of my favorite directors. So this is a movie that, although I haven't seen yet, I could see myself watching at some yeah. point. In I think it pairs really well with The Crown. I wish they had all of the actors from The Crown just play a lot yeah. of the supporting roles in here. That, that would have be, been so ideal. Would have been really great to see, but... Um, I, I also want to give a shout out to Kristen Scott Thomas, who plays um, Clemmy, um, his wife, and she is killer. Like, she's brilliant in this role. She brings so much heart and depth to it. Um, just, I want, I wanted more of her in this movie. Um, but obviously, it's a Winston Churchill movie, so you can't do that. But in the future, I want a spinoff. Oh, that's that would be a great idea. I, I'm, all, I'm a big fan of yep. historical movies about women. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thank you for that, Lucas. Lawson, what's your number 10 movie of the year? All right, my number 10 movie of the year was Phantom Thread. Um, I thought it was so beautiful and so touching and um, one of those movies that the longer I thought about it and the longer I sat with it, the more I enjoyed see, it. See, see, I told yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, you were right. Um, this also happened to me with uh, Blade Runner 2049. Um, yeah. That when I first saw them, I was like yes. not that into. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, they've grown on me with time. And this movie, especially with um, the the subtlety with which the themes are uh, woven into this movie, um, really blows me away. And just the beauty on screen. Um, Paul Thomas Anderson really is in a league of his own for a reason. And... Um, of the movies I've seen this year, this one stuck with me on a higher level than most. So, Phantom Thread, number 10. It's Thank so good. You. It's so Thank good. Thank you for that, Lawson. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, for my number 10, I want to have this caveat that this was a amazing year in movies, I think. Um, mm. 
I had such a hard time only picking 10 movies. In fact, I made a top 25 of the year list because, you know, I really think there's so many incredible films this year. So this number 10 slot was really hard to pick, you know, what was going to be the cutoff um, in my 25 list. And I watched this movie last night. Um, it became available to me on iTunes last night. And so I got it in there. Right under the wire. Really, very close. And I know it's a rookie move to put a movie you just saw on your top ten list. I know that. I'm not a dummy. And yet, I couldn't not put it on this list. It was such a superb film. Um, I saw God's Own Country last night. Oh, man. Yeah. I knew yeah, it was going to be good. <laughs> it's really good. Um, and and I do feel confident in saying that it's not just my emotions talking. This <laughs> is a great movie because this movie has, if you care about this sort of thing, it has a 99% on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, I think I read that it was the highest grossing like original British film um, this year. and like Or like in Britain, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and... It was it, it really blew me away. I watched it by myself in my home late at night. And um, thank goodness for that, because throughout the entire movie, I kind of just screamed at my television at the characters. You know, it was the kind of movie that you have so many thoughts and opinions about what the characters are doing and feeling. Um, for those of you who have never heard of God's Own Country, it's about this... Um, Scottish, I think, yes, yeah, Scottish yeah. farm young man, young man who works on a on his family farm, um, who is the only word that I can use to describe this guy is a prick. He's just kind of a a jerk to be around, and um, this handsome stranger shows up to work on his farm, and you know he just kind of like learns to be a person from this guy. <laughs> And it's so beautiful. There's a lot like there. It, there are some similarities to Call Me by Your Name in that it's you know this guy whose father hires a handsome person to come work for a short period of time, and <laughs> you know it's very sensual. Um, but I've heard it called Brokeback Mountain on a sheep farm. Is that yeah, <laughs> possibly? Um, and you know, but truly, I can't overestimate enough how you know, unlikable the, our protagonist is, at least at the start of this movie. And I was so moved by it. I, I personally, I grew up on a goat farm. Um, and so there were so many things that like felt so like at home for me in this movie. I, I loved these characters. There were moments that are like very quiet moments that I laughed out loud at because of, you know, the strange positions these characters have put themselves in and the humor that is involved. Yeah. Um, I was blown away by it. I hope a lot of people see this movie. It's, I think, really, really special. That's awesome. It's on my list. <laughs> yeah. I think we may share some things in our top, like, three or five, but I'm worried that all the rest of the movies on y'all's list are going to be things I just straight up haven't seen. I, a lot of them are things you haven't seen. I think <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Um, and for me, that was kind of purposeful. My top ten... They're not, that's not the only reason they're in my top ten, but I do. I am excited that my top ten this year is movies that I get to introduce to people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's really great. Um, and yeah, so so let's move on to number nine, Lucas. What's your number nine? 
Well, coming back, I will say my top 10 is about movies that moved me a lot. And so one of the movies that moved me the most this year and that really stuck with me is Coco. Um, Coco, I... I have a hard time comparing Pixar movies to other movies. I always want to compare them to other Pixar movies, which I think isn't fair at all. <laughs> um, but like, so look, so looking at just like the landscape of movies this year, I think Coco um, is it's it's a great family movie. Like, it's one of the movies that one of the I think few great movies this year that you can just take everybody to, and everybody's going to enjoy it and love and uh, really be moved by. I think it's this one that you should see with other people, um, and cr- cry with them, and just hear people's stories afterwards. Like, it's just a fantastic movie, and uh, it was really touching. Uh, yeah, I agree, Lucas. Um, Coco's not on my top ten, but it is in my top. 25 yep. i i was i like i said when we talked about coco on this podcast i think it's like the most beautifully animated pixar movie that is mm-hmm. ever like I, I think it's so gorgeous yeah um, i'm yep. excited to see it on your list yeah um lawson what's your number nine my number nine uh what is dunkirk i yeah. saw this movie on 70 millimeter imax film and it was one of the most transportive things that I've seen this year. Um, I felt it felt claustrophobic. It felt enveloping. It felt uh, vast and hopeless, um, and it felt inspiring and uh, human. I just so much about this movie. I don't know. It, it had some of the feelings that you get. It had some of the feelings that you get from like when you go to an IMAX educational film um, and you just see newsreels um, played out in front of you see real people with real eyes and real emotions trying to work through the things that they're faced with. And I was so struck by how much technical mastery was required to make a movie like this Mm -hmm. and how it felt effortlessly authentic. It felt like they just put a camera in the best possible place during the time that these events actually occurred. Um, It really, really struck me seeing it in a theater is a experience that I'll remember forever. Um, it's, it's strange to put it in my top 10 when I feel like the only time I'll ever want to watch it again is maybe if I'm at a friend's house that has an intense (laughs) home theater system. (laughs) Right. Um, it's not one that I want to, you know, revisit over and over on my laptop screen or whatever. (laughs) Um, but, uh, given the, the setting that it deserves, this movie is completely singular. I, I love yeah, it. Yeah, this movie is cold in a good way. Like, I mm. have never, f- like, felt <laughs> that from a movie. And I think especially, like, a movie that I loved, like, I think that's an amazing thing that you can do. And it's Yeah, I have so unique. much emotional connection to characters that I don't remember a single name of. Yeah. It's unreal. I would say, I don't think we talked about Dunkirk on the podcast before. Um, at least I'm forgetting if we did. Um, one thing that has still stuck with me after seeing it is there's only been two movies I think I've ever seen. And this is one of them that have captured this feeling of flying Mm, in a way mm -hmm. that feels like so transportive. I would say that and how to train your dragon are like the two movies for me that when you are watching it, you feel like you yourself are flying. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that on its own, I think, is an incredible achievement. I would also say that, you know, people make a big deal about, like, you know, you need to have seen this on a big screen. And while I do agree that this is a movie best seen on a big screen, that's what it's made for. Um, I think if a movie can only be enjoyed on a big screen, I think that's a 
bad sign for a movie that like mm. the storytelling really isn't there. You know, like mm -hmm. if you can't watch it on a regular TV at your home and like and you don't appreciate it at all, I think that's, you know, not a good sign for how well your movie is made. And I do think that this is a movie I haven't watched it at home yet. Mm -hmm. But from what I remember of it, I do think it's a movie that the story is rich enough that even if you're not in that 70 millimeter <laughs> IMAX, you know, experience, that it would still mean a lot to you. I agree. I agree. And I hope I didn't say that in a way that sounded No, I don't think you did, but I think that's I been a combo yeah. conversation around it. For sure. Yeah. I've seen some people post online like, just saw Dunkirk, just watched Dunkirk on a plane and it was pretty good. Yeah. Like <laughs> you can watch it in the worst possible circumstance and it's still a, a very and well made I think movie. That's yeah, that's something to be said for it. Yeah. Um so Lucas, you were talking about earlier, you know, your top ten are movies that really moved you. And mm -hmm. that's kind of how you distinguished what was gonna be in your top ten this year. Um for me, my big distinguishing factor was what are movies that you know, I can't get them out of my head. You mm -hmm. know, even though I saw them days later or months later, I'm still, you know, replaying images from that movie. Um, and so that was definitely the case for my number nine. My number nine is Novitiate. Did either mm. of you see Novitiate? No, nope. I forgot to put that on the list of things I missed. <laughs> no, okay. So Novitiate is another theme for me this year are movies that I kind of just check out because they're at the bell court and I saw a trailer for them and then they like surprisingly blew me away like without any expectations yeah. of them. Um, Novitiate is one of those movies. It's a movie about, it's set in the 60s when a lot of organizational and um, theological change is happening in the Catholic Church. And it's set at a what is it called? A convent, um, where a group of young girls all around probably age 18, um, are joining this convent and want to become nuns. So it's about this specific group of girls and the nuns that, that run the convent and are, you know, training these young women. And it's about this clash of old and new, of strict and intense theological, dedication versus um, new ways of thinking. And, you know, when we, we saw Silence last year, and I had very high expectations for Silence mm. and what that movie was going to say about faith, and I was a little let down by that movie. And this movie addresses all the con internal conflicts about faith that I was hoping Silence would, um, or at least in a way that I had hoped Silence would. It was so moving. And the fact that it is a movie almost entirely filled with women is incredibly important because so often in movies about faith, women are not put at the forefront of those stories. And um, I felt fear and sympathy and longing in, during this movie in ways that I rarely do in movies about faith. And um, I was incredibly moved by it. So um, I think whether you are someone who has a strong sense of religious faith or someone who has never had a sense of religious faith or you have abandoned your faith, wherever you're at in that stage, I think this movie will be very meaningful. And I think that says a lot about the film itself. Mm, um, I'm so excited so about my, it. That's my number nine. Um, it's not out on iTunes yet. I'm so, I can't wait for it to be so I can watch it again. 
Uh, I didn't even know that movie existed. Yeah. I'm so excited to watch it now. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty great. Um, Lucas, what's your number eight? Um, my number eight is Mudbound. Um, Mudbound was, I think it's, yeah, it's the only Netflix movie um, that is really shaking up awards uh, this year. Um, yeah. But I, man, D. Reese did an amazing job. This film is a masterpiece. A masterpiece. It takes a very unflinching look at America and life right after World War II um, and just lets you into so many different characters' mindsets. I cannot believe that you can have this good of an ensemble um, in a movie like this. And I, I watched it by myself one night, and um, my wife got home, and I was just like, sorry, I, you can't really talk to me right now. I just watched oh. Mudbound. Like, yeah, that sounds <laughs> was, about right. It was so moving, so... Excellent. Yeah. Excellent movie. I, I saw this movie too, Lucas, and unflinching is the perfect word to describe this movie because it is um, probably, I watched a lot of intense movies this year, and I think this is the most intense of all the movies mm-hmm. I watched. The one yeah. that, you know, had me looking away from the screen and really tr- very upset by all the things that happen in this film. Um and but yeah, you're right. This ensemble is really spectacular. Yeah, this is one of the films I was most sad I didn't get a chance to see before today. Um, everything I know about it makes me think it'll be in my top ten. So I'm I'm excited to see it. Yeah, Lawson, what was your number eight? My number eight uh, was I Tanya. I uh, heard a lot of mixed reviews about this, and so I went into it very open and ended up completely loving it. Um, the uh, my only complaint with it was how uh, leaning towards a certain, how distinct its point of view was, but I also kind of enjoyed the fact that uh, it made no qualms about its point of view, and I think it made a very strong film and was able to do that because of that. Um, it, I also kind of thematically enjoyed the fact that Tanya Harding felt like nothing was really her fault, and so this film also took that same perspective that nothing was Tanya Harding's <laughs> fault. Um but overall, I just the the way it talks through classism, the way it talks through um, just this kind of uh, crew of dunderheads uh, <laughs> being put at the middle of an, a national issue like this. Um, I don't know if it just had present day relevance or what, um, but I really, really enjoyed it. And the filmmaking uh, techniques that were employed really uh, surprised me. The figure skating scenes in this, like the routines that uh, Margot Robbie does, completely blew me away just as a feat of filmmaking. And Margot Robbie's performance is phenomenal. Um, I love this movie. Start to finish, Alice and Janney, of course, was incredible as well. Uh, It was really, really a surprise delight. I expected to like it, but um, the stark contrast of... um, uh, uh, pain and difficulty and portrayals of abuse with uh, genuinely hilarious um, and super entertaining uh, other portions of the film struck a uh, a lot of my favorite TV shows are dramedies right now and I don't know that I've seen a movie uh, pull off that that cocktail nearly as well as I, Tanya, um, and did such a, a good job of it um, that it, it made me one of the things I like about that mixture is it makes the highs higher and the lows lower. Um, this movie felt very exaggerated, and the truth in the middle of it was all the clearer for it, and I, I loved it. I really, really enjoyed it. I love this movie, too. It's on my top 25. Yeah. It's, this movie was 
this year in film was, I think, a particularly good year for stories about complicated women. Mm-hmm. And this is probably one of the most complicated women that we got a story about. And I was ex- I was so happy to see it on your list, Lawson, and happy that it was like a movie that we got to see this year. I wish it got a little bit more Oscar attention. Me too. Yeah. yeah. Um, I just think it's a really wild but important story. Yep. Yeah. Agreed. Um, my number eight is uh, a documentary that I saw recently called The Work. This is a movie that wasn't on my radar at all. You know, I had this long list of movies I was trying to see this month, and this was not on my list. And then um, a podcast that I love called Get Up On This, one of the hosts of that podcast recommended this movie, and his caveat was... Um, This isn't the best movie of the year, but it is the most important movie of the year. And he goes, and everyone needs to see it. And it is a documentary about a therapy program, a four-day-long therapy program, group therapy program, I should say, that takes place in Folsom Prison. Um, In this documentary, prisoners can choose to participate in this group therapy program. Um, Many of them have participated in it several different times as they, you know, do multiple sessions of it. Um, But then also what makes it really unique is that men who are outside the prison system, just, you know, average people who live out in the world, can choose to participate in this therapy right alongside the prisoners, you know, going through the therapy themselves um, on the same level as everyone else who is in that room. And like I said, it's a four day long session. So you get four days with this one particular subset of men that are participating in this therapy session. And um, this movie, like this guy said, it's the most important movie of the year. It's a movie that examines, um, the way we have conditioned men in our society to reject emotion and all of the consequences of that. You know, the this movie um, is very intense to watch, but, and I cried throughout so many parts of it, but it is not a movie that is, it doesn't feel miserable at any point. It Everything, even the most painful things that these men are talking about, you always have this sense of hope because they're here, you know, and I'm quoting the movie, doing the work. You know that they're here and they're working on reconstructing their souls. And that in and of itself is such a hopeful thing that even though they're talking about horrible things that have happened to them in their past or horrible things that they've done, you know that things are getting better, even if it's only slightly. Um, I learned so much watching this movie about the way men not only, and I, and obviously I'm using generalizations here when I use the term men, but the way that men not only withhold emotion, but how they physically, some of them physically need to be taught how to cry or express themselves. Like their bodies don't know how to do that in addition to their minds and their hearts. And seeing this therapy program just blew me away. And 
what was so insane about it is seeing that the men who are in prison, most of whom are talking about very violent criminal pasts, um, are suffering from the exact same toxic issues as the men who are not in prison, um, who are, who work at museums or are teacher's aides or bartenders. And to see the same kind of rage and fear and pain exist in those men was really, really powerful and scary, but such a necessary thing to see. I would, I think this movie should be shown in schools. I think that if you are a man, you have to see this movie. I think that if you're in a relationship with a man, you have to see this movie. If you're raising a man, you should see this movie. Um, I would watch, this movie is very short. It's an hour and a half long. I would watch an entire Netflix series of this where they just do it over and over again. And you hear all these different people's stories. I think it's so powerful. And um, I, I, that's my number eight. So I went on very long about that. But <laughs> I'm very, very passionate about the idea that people should see this movie. No. Yeah. You, you text us about it and I definitely, I definitely will, will put it on my list to see. Yeah. Lucas, what's your number seven? My number seven is Good Time. Um, this is the Robert Patterson joint that um, I watched this on a plane and I sweated the entire time. It is... Oh, on a plane, Lucas! Yes, I know. <laughs> this movie is just on the cusp of being out of control the entire time, but it is yeah. perfectly paced and just the tension is um, just... It keeps getting ratcheted up and you can just tell this guy's desperation as he's... Um, as he's trying to get his brother out of out of prison slash the hospital, everything it's 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 crazy. It's just one guy's night, um, and it is an incredible movie about about loss and about selfishness. And I do think everybody should watch it at some point. Yeah, I you know this was a, Luke, a movie that I saw Lucas that. <clears throat> Um, there were several of these movies that I saw this month that I was like, I gotta see it before I watch, you know, make my list. And so many of them were movies that I would say by the end of them, I was like, you know, that wasn't for me, but I'm mm -hmm. so glad that this movie was made. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Where you're like, I'm glad that this movie exists. I, I think it's a cool, like well-made story that might not be one of my favorites of the year, but I'm happy other people like got to have this movie for themselves. Yeah. Um, and Robert Pattinson, I, Pattinson probably should have gotten a Best Actor nomination. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Agreed. Another one I didn't see. <laughs> <laughs> well, Lawson, tell us about your number seven. What is one that you did see? My number seven uh, is the movie Columbus, which I'm very thankful to Sandra for recommending to me because I hadn't heard of it um, outside of, of that recommendation. And this movie is slow, measured. Um, it's... It's one of those rare movies, like a, a before sunset. Like it's the kind of movie that a lot of like sitting around and having conversations with beautiful shots. Um, it felt completely unremarkable, and I was floored by that. <laughs> it was just so um, relaxing. Um, they talked through real uh, issues that um, were very. Uh, I don't know. Uh, tense and heart-wrenching um, to themselves personally as characters, but um, the relationship that forms on screen in this movie was a, a complete joy to watch. Um, the architecture on display is beyond beautiful, and 
I don't know. This reminds me of <laughs> um, movies in high school that, or even college, where you see a movie and there's a quote from that movie and you pick that out and that becomes a new way that you view the world. Um, mm. And it's because these two people have are having conversations that you only have whenever you're being completely honest and vulnerable with somebody. And this movie was full of those kind of conversations, um, full of those kind of quotes. And I, I love it for that. Um, it's slow. It's, uh, it's gorgeous. And I, I highly recommend it. I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. I'm so, so glad you saw this movie last time. My mission of like 2017 and 2018 now, I guess, is to get as many people as possible. <laughs> it's true. This it's is on the, Hulu. Go yeah, see it. Exactly. <laughs> this is the first movie from, um, I think, a fi- like, so Coconati did video essays on YouTube and stuff like that a lot. Right. And I love video essays and I love watching video essays, but yeah. I think this is the first crossover that we've that we've gotten and of of many more to come, I think, of yeah. video essays getting a chance to direct feature movies and I mean, he knocked it out of the park on this one, so I'm excited to see what comes next. Yeah, absolutely. Um my number 7 is feel, filling a slot in my list that um Everybody Wants Some filled last year. And it's a movie that is just fun. Like, it's not one of the quote-unquote best movies of the year. And yet, I've watched it so many times because I enjoy myself so many every time I watch it. And that's Logan Lucky. Um, (laughs) Oh, those those are my list. I have seen Logan Lucky at least three or four times now. And... um, it's also, again, like Everybody Wants Some, it's the kind of movie that I'm always in the mood to see. If I'm hanging out with someone <laughs> and we're like, let's watch something, I'm always going to be like, well, we could watch Logan Lucky. You totally, know? yeah. Um, it's just a fun, fun time at the movies. <laughs> and it's a heist film. We, You know I love heist films. Um, when you're narrowing down your list, there's so many ways you can go. And I just couldn't see myself leaving this off my list when I considered how many times I've seen it and how much I enjoy it each time. So I am still a big fan of Logan Lucky. Yeah. I think like Steven Soderbergh cannot make a movie that isn't fun. Like just, I I watched all the oceans movies this weekend and, (laughs) (laughs) and they're just so much fun. And yeah, there's, there were some problems with Logan Lucky, but like, but that's, it's, it's fine. Like that, that, isn't like you're not coming to Logan Lucky to see a perfect movie. Like you're seeing it, you're seeing it to have this experience. And I, I gotta agree, it's it's fantastic. I also love that every single actor seems to be having as much fun on screen as I'm having watching it. Yep. Like yeah, <laughs> yep. yeah. It's, it's just true. A great time. Start. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, okay, Lucas, what's your number six movie? My number six is the first time that we have any kind of crossover so far. <laughs> sure. Um, Phantom Thread. Lawson, you talked about this, um, and I'll just chime in here. This movie moved me. <laughs> um, as you said, like it took a couple days for it to like soak in and me actually like come to love this movie. But um, I think it has one of the best scores of the year. Um, mm-hmm. The score is incredible, just so delicate and perfectly used. Uh, it's a sparse story, um, but I think told expertly. And Paul Thomas Anderson, and this I think is my favorite Paul Thomas Anderson movie. Um, but I don't think it's his best, but it's definitely the one that, that touched me the most. I'm, I'm glad that you love this movie, Lucas. Like I, (laughs) I, 
I, I, you and your British people, and I just, I just, love, I, I like when you get what you want. I, that really makes me happy. It's true. Lawson, what's your number six movie of the year? My number six, another crossover, is Coco. Yes. Um, this movie, God, it's just. It, I cried so much in this movie. <laughs> I'm trying to remember time in this movie where I wasn't crying, and it was so rare. Um, it movies that talk with this much affection about family, while also addressing the realities of conflict within a family, of failed expectations, but also um, really getting back to at the end of the day, like an intense, unmovable love for family. I, I'm such a sucker for it. And this movie is beautiful. Um, the main, the protagonist here is, the voice acting is incredible. The animation is completely breathtaking. Um, there's so many inventive and cool things about this movie, and the representation on screen uh, is, is so important. But overall, this movie is in my top ten because it, uh, made my heart grow three sizes. I just, I love Coco, and as soon as I saw it, it was one of those films that I got into work, and I asked everyone who I talked to, have you seen Coco yet? And yeah. when I go to church, <laughs> I asked everyone who I saw, have you seen Coco yet? Um, it's a movie that I was able to recommend to absolutely everybody I knew and feel like they might not have had as intense of a reaction as I did, um, but I knew their reaction would be positive. It's a movie that... Um, only brings goodness into the world, and I I adored it. Yeah, I love how Coco is so specific and universal at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Oh. I was like, I'm not, I don't, not Hispanic, and this feels like it's my family, but I know it's not. But it's like, oh, it's yeah. all so good. Absolutely. Thank you for that, Lawson. Um, my number six is again a movie. Like I said earlier, I cannot get out of my head. And it is a Norwegian film called Thelma. Woo -woo. It's, um, yeah. <laughs> it's, Lucas, would you call this a horror film? Uh, no, I would Probably call not, it. Probably not, right? I would call it a thriller. A thriller? Yeah. Yeah. It's, I would call it a thriller as well. Um, but it, I think it has some th horror themes to yeah. it. Yeah. Um, and it is a story of a young college-aged woman who leaves her kind of strict religious home for the first time to go to a university. And she starts to discover um, things about herself and her sexuality. And they're very scary things. And while doing that, she discovers that she might have some sense of a supernatural ability that she doesn't really quite understand. And this movie is nothing like a superhero movie or a fun magic movie. It is a sickening, tense thriller. Um, it is a, it's a movie that where anything that she's discovering about herself is a very terrifying thing to discover. And Yet it's also beautiful and sensual, and some of the visuals in this film I are burned into my brain. Mm -hmm. um, I was the visuals I think are what made me first be so connected to this film, and then seeing it for a second time, the story as well um, really captured me. I think this movie is such a powerful story about power about owning your identity and the power that is within yourself that you 
are maybe a little bit afraid of. Um, I, I, I love this movie. It has moved up and down my list at times. <laughs> it's been my number two. At times, it's been my number eight. You know, it's sticking here at this spot for now, but who knows where it'll be a week from now. Um, <laughs> but I really had a wonderful time with this. I, this is another movie I hope a lot of people see. Yeah, yeah. This movie is my number 11. It uh, it just fell off the list. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, it's so it's so well done. It's so... Um, expertly, expertly told, I think like, yeah. there's so many like cheesy ways you could do this story. And, um, he, he holds it taut and takes mm-hmm. you all the way through. So it's good. I agree. Okay. Let's... Sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm excited to see that one as well. Sure. Yeah. All right, Lucas, we're now in the top five of mm, our list. You're in the top five. We're halfway there. Lucas, what's your number five? This is a movie I'm sure will be on everybody's list, and per usual, it's lower on my list than it probably is on everybody <laughs> else's, but call me by your name. <laughs> um, this movie is, it's so tender, um, and yeah. it's just, I think, a very controlled look at what falling in love looks like for the first time. Um, I was very nervous about this film at first just because of like the age difference between them was, was making me uncomfortable. And especially with like all of the like abuse stuff that's happened this year. Um, I just didn't want that to be a part of the film (laughs) and I'm very excited that it wasn't and that it's just truly a, a true love story. And, um, I think Sufjan Stevens brings, um, I think an interesting, piece of music to this movie like I would not have told you that it fits but um as you as it kind of falls in line you realize like how well Sufjan Stevens music works with this movie um even if it feels like tonally different (laughs) um every everybody does an amazing job acting I'm so surprised that Michael Stuhlbarg or Army Hammer didn't get nominated for anything Um, tell me about it so sad (laughs) um yeah this movie was moving and the credits are the best credits of all time i would say i would agree with that statement yeah i love that this movie stops two-thirds of the way through for a flawless complete sufjan music video (laughs) right plays an entire song and it's like that's the video for this now yep yep oh okay well thank you for that lucas lawson what is your number five my number five um I made a last-minute change because I just couldn't stand this not being in my top five, and that is The Big Sick. Um, this movie is one of those films that, uh, as we've said before, I'm just so happy that it exists. Um, I have followed the writers of this film through podcasts for the better part of a decade, and I obviously I don't know them, but I feel so much affection from afar for them. And this movie does so many important and beautiful and wonderful things that I, I appreciated in the moment. Um, but also in, of, of course, in the, in the best way, we're not shoving, it's not shoving your face in anything. It's just like, this is our story. And um, it, the, the interracial relationship is incredible. The, the way that it shows that, um, whenever you date someone and it gets to a, a really serious place, you're not just dating them, you're dating their family. Um, the way that there's this story of a relationship between um, this couple, but also between um, the, you know, between Kumail and uh, his future in-laws. 
and that relationship growing into something in its own right um, was so incredible. I had never seen a portrayal of um, this uh, Pakistani, uh, you know, the arranged marriage system and how that kind of exists in today's um, world, like the iteration that that takes in the modern, you know, context. And I just, I appreciated what this showed me that I had never seen before. I appreciated how incredibly loving it was, how incredibly funny it was, um, and how universal it felt. Um, a lot of the feelings in this were feelings that I identified with directly. Um, and I also felt and saw things that I had never seen before. And I was so thankful to this movie for that. Um, I think it's one of the best written movies of the year. And uh, I'm so, so happy it's nominated for an Oscar. I think it deserves that and then some. I'm going to second that, that the Oscar nomination made me so happy. Because, yeah. yeah, this the writing is so special. Mm-hmm. I think for me, this is the easiest film to recommend to people. Like, I like, mm-hmm. I can, I don't have to caveat it. Like, I feel like with every other movie that I, that I like <laughs> recommend, it's like you should watch Good Time. But here's the thing. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, yeah. This, this one is just like everyone will love this movie. It's so, it's so just beautiful. Yeah, this was my number eleven. It just, yeah. it was on my list for the longest time, and then I watched too many other great movies, and it just barely missed it. Yeah, this, yeah. this is one of those. I was telling Sandra like when I was creating my list, all of a sudden. I, there were movies that I thought would be on my list. And then once I started making it, I was like, oh my gosh, there were so many good movies this year. This just gets pushed down. And so yeah. this one, yeah, this one barely didn't make it as well. Yeah, right. You guys just need to see fewer movies. You can get it <laughs> <you want. laughs> Right. Yeah, that's our issue. <laughs> um, okay. Well, my number five, um, you know, we're talking a lot about all these caveats with our top 10 and like, well, movies that make me feel this way. And, you know, yeah. there's so many good <laughs> movies. Um, my number five is Get Out. And Get Out is low on this list for me because there are four other movies that I feel so passionate about. It's because you hate black people. It's because I hate black people. That's why. Um, It only makes number four. (laughs) You know what? It's number four. (laughs) Um, But even though Get Out is my number five movie of the year on my list, I think culturally, Get Out is the best movie that came out this year. Yeah. And that's a very different thing of like a personal favorite versus a cultural favorite. And if I had my way, Get Out would win Best Picture at the Oscars this year. I think it is the best movie. It is so tightly told. You know, the pacing is perfect. The plot is perfect. The acting is incredible. I... There are so many things about this movie that are just incredibly impressive. And then when you consider all of that, that this is a first-time feature mm-hmm. director, um, that also blows me away. That someone it was made for like four and a half dollars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it it is a stunning achievement. And um, in addition to it just being a remarkable movie and an entertaining movie and a visually beautiful movie it is also an incredibly important movie for the time we are in and um i keep i say this all the time we do not watch these movies in a vacuum what they say about the world we are currently in and the movie and the environment they are released into matters just as much as the filmmaking skill that went into making a movie and for this movie that is such a positive experience because it says so many important things about today and so uh, yeah get out i can't 
sing more praises about it, even though it seems kind of low on my list. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's see. Where are we at now? Lucas, what is your number four movie of the year? My number four movie is a movie that's not on anybody else's list, I'm sure. Blade Runner. Um, <laughs> How'd you guess? This, Lawson, I'm glad it has grown in esteem for you over time. Um, it definitely has. It good. was my 11. <laughs> this movie for me was brilliant. Like it takes the original to a whole nother level while I think not like overstepping its bounds. Um, it's so complicated and it explores humanity in a way I have never seen before. Um, I can talk about this movie forever. I had so much fun during it and Denny Villeneuve's movies have always been on my top 10 lists. Um, and I think this one was one that <clears throat> was one that I was nervous wouldn't be just because like to take on the, I guess <laughs> the hate that could come from directing a sequel to Blade Runner, I think is insane. And the fact that he knocked it out of the park is mind blowing. Um, I will watch this movie over and over again and just keep getting deeper and deeper layers on how this movie works. So that's my number four. You know, so we talked about this on the podcast and my reaction was a little bit lukewarm about this movie, but your I would say it was negative. Passion but... for, well, parts of, parts of it were <laughs> negative. Yes. Um, your passion for this Lucas movie, Lucas, um, definitely. Well, it hasn't changed my opinion entirely. <laughs> it definitely awakened so many, like so much appreciation for this movie that mm -hmm. I didn't have on my first seeing. Yeah. Um, and so I'm very grateful for you and like your thoughts on this film. Yeah. Thank that's you. one of the things I'm thankful for with us having these conversations weekly in general is just hearing other perspectives on it and thinking about things in ways I hadn't before and mm -hmm. hearing your passion for this movie. And I remember during our conversation about this initially, you're like, no, it's about what does it mean to be human and you, when you choose something? And I was like, what? I missed that. <laughs> That's what it's about? <laughs> and the more I thought about it in that context, the more I came to love it. And I just jumped back and forth between being my 10 and 11 so much. Yeah. Um, and this is a movie that it is long. And so it is. I didn't even get to see a ton of movies that I wanted to see before the end of the year for this list. So I, I of course, didn't get a chance to watch this again. Yeah. But this is a movie I think I'm going to revisit. And um, all right, I know I'm going to revisit because of how rich it was. Um, movies this measured and this deliberate um, are are made to be studied and viewed over and over again. And so I, I can't wait to have a deeper appreciation um, for it in ways that like I can see directly on screen as I'm going through it. So I'm, I'm so glad that you loved it so much and that it's this high for you. Okay, well, I'm gonna go into my number four movie oh, of the year. Okay. Um, my number four movie of the year is Star Wars The Last Jedi. <laughs> um, talking about movies that I can't get out of my head, the weeks that I, following seeing this film, I would lie in bed at night <laughs> and just think about these characters and these scenes and what that those scenes meant for those characters and all the emotions that were in this movie yes. and all the things that this movie was saying about people and power and choices and leadership and and good versus evil and and the murky waters in between those two um i loved this movie i i think about it all the time i had so much fun seeing it i think it's the perfect blend of popcorn entertainment and thoughtful provocative you know storytelling 
And um, I just, I can't believe how good this movie was. Yeah. It's one of those things that I had such high expectations for it, and it completely exceeded them. Um, yeah. In any other year, I think this might have been my favorite, my number one movie of the year. <laughs> um, but not 2017. Yeah. <laughs> In 2017, it's my number four. Um, but, uh, you know, that's not a... a, a diss on it at all it's it's truly i think an outstanding achievement yeah. yeah how incredible to have a star wars movie in a top 10 list yeah i mean i remember when the force awakens came out i wanted to think like that was so fun it was nowhere near my top 10 for the year sure but i just really enjoyed it so yeah I, I agree um lawson what is your number four movie of the year my number four movie of the year is ladybird um which if you haven't seen it, it's a grave mistake. Um, it's so good. It's so, freak, it's so good. Um, it, I have never been a teenage girl, um, and <laughs> this movie hit me on levels that were so um, intensely emotionally specific. Uh, every one of my friends that are, are women that I've talked to about this movie have talked about how special this portrayal of a mother-daughter relationship on screen is. That's something that I can't know with that degree of specificity, but I'm so glad that it's there. Um, the direction and the acting in this film are completely incredible, and it just talks so much about what it is to be a teenager. Um, I loved how sympathetically and how uh, awfully it portrayed um, Saoirse Ronan's character, and the same for Laurie Metcalf. Um, it was just so, so, I have never been able to identify with a child and a parent role in a th movie as strongly as in this film. Um, and there is a scene in this movie that broke, broke me. And, um, whenever, uh, slight spoiler for Lady Bird if you haven't seen it, but, there's a scene where uh, behind a coffee house that reminded me how far we've come in such a short amount of time. Um, I work with uh, kids that are high school age and um, issues of, um, of, of sexuality and, and um, orientation and things like that that were so different um, even 10 or 15 years ago. Um, it, it, just thinking and remembering so clearly what this moment in this movie felt like um, was a feeling I had utterly forgotten because of how unpleasant it was to feel. Mm -hmm. But when I felt it again, it was so important um, because it made me, it filled me with so much sadness and it broke my heart, but it also filled me with so much joy and hope um, thinking about how recent that was and how the world is now. Um, this is, I think this is going to go down as like a, a cult classic. I think this is going to be a movie that um, high schoolers watch forever after this um, and just completely love and identify with and then we'll be able to revisit again as adults when they have teenagers and get oh, something completely yeah. new out of. It's it's a real achievement. Yeah. Totally. Lucas, why don't you tell us about your number three movie of the year? Yeah, my number three movie of the year is also Lady Bird, so I will continue <laughs> where we left off. <laughs> um, yeah, this film works so well when everything about it, to me, would have said it shouldn't. Like, a year-in-the-life movie of a Catholic girl in Sacramento in 2002, I would have 
definitely panned. <laughs> um, <laughs> but like it, like it feels like high school. It does. And I didn't go to high school in 2002, but I went right after that. <laughs> and right. it truly, truly feels real. And I think that's really hard for someone to do, for someone to write and direct and make it not just a little slice, but really that whole year and the way they portray relationships throughout that year and how in high school you can have friends for a little bit and then kind of they disappear for a little bit and then maybe they're back for a little bit and just like the way that year flows in this movie is so well done and all of the relationships that she has throughout it um work to make this movie better um i I'm, i was so impressed by it i love Greta Gerwig i love things she's written we've talked about um I think some of her other work, uh, specifically, now I just forgot the name of the movie that... Miss America. Miss America. How much, yeah. like, Miss America was on my top 10, whatever year that came out, I think 2014, maybe 15. Um, she is an excellent writer, and I shouldn't have been surprised by this, but I was. You know, Lucas, I remember when you recommended Miss America, I had said something to the effect of, like, I'm a little, like exhausted by Greta Gerwig at this mm-hmm. point. So like, I'm going to take a little bit yeah. before I watch that movie. <laughs> Are you <back>? And <laughs> well, yes. Well, what I was, what I'm realizing now is I was kind of exhausted of this character. Greta Gerwig has, I feel like been playing in a lot of movies. And, um, yeah, but I am Noah not Bombeck stuff. Right. And I, and what this movie has made me realize is I'm not exhausted by Greta Gerwig as herself. Mm-hmm. Um, this movie, yeah, really blew me away. And I can't wait for more stories from her point of view specifically, whether she's in them or not. Um, I can take it or leave it either way. But as long as she's the one doing the storytelling, I'm so excited yeah. for more. Completely this is agree. definitely on my um, top my top 25. Yeah. Um, I had a, a beautiful time with this movie yeah. as well. Um, she's good friends with Natalie Portman, and I want her to direct Natalie Portman. <laughs> oh, that would be really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, my number three movie, um, you know how I said earlier that it's kind of a rookie move to put movies you saw last night on your top ten list? Yeah, oh, so you did no. it once, and you're not going to do it again. No, Continue. of course, yeah, I wouldn't exactly. make the mistake again, except that I am, and it's my number three <laughs> movie of the year. Um, last night, I saw BPM. Um, BPM stands for Beats Per Minute. It's a French film about queer AIDS activists in the early 1990s. It tells these stories of these young and old people, um, but primarily young people that are incredibly passionate about the way the AIDS crisis is ravaging their community and what their country and their government is doing or not doing to help stop it. I was really excited to see this movie because I'd heard so many good things about it. And I am a particular fan of, you know, stories about queer communities. I wasn't prepared for what this movie was going to do to me. Um, One, first of all, it's expertly made. The acting, the filmmaking, um, the storytelling... I have only the highest things to say about it. But what makes this movie so special and different from all the other movies I saw this year is how important this story is and how, again, I've never seen anything like it before. I've never seen a movie about activists that feel like I know these people. 
you know? I've seen plenty of movies about activism in different realms, and while that I've always admired them, I've never felt this sense of like, oh, those are people that I know. Those are the people that I recognize, the way they talk, the way they live, the way they dance, the way they dress. Um, this movie is set in the 90s, but it feels like it could be set today, other than, you know, the way we deal with AIDS and HIV is very different today than it was then. We're at a very different place, thankfully. With Other than that, this movie feels so, so current. Um, one of the reasons why movies about the AIDS crisis are so important is because if you feel like you belong to the queer community, um, you're very aware that we lost an entire generation of elders. Mm -hmm. You know, like every community has people from multiple generations in it. Um, and we essentially lost a generation of this community. And that is such a, a hard, traumatic thing that people from multiple generations are experiencing. And this movie puts that into such a harsh perspective. Um, harsh and joyful at the same time, which is why this movie is so special. There are, of course, incredibly painful things that I sobbed through while watching this movie. And there are also funny moments and sexy moments and joyful moments. And it's all woven together. And um, this movie is frank about what AIDS looks like, looked like, what it felt like, what it was like to talk about it, to have friends with it, to live with it. It was frank about what needs to be done to stop it and prevent it. Um, one of my favorite things about this movie is how much they talk about condoms and safe sex. These activists are doing extreme protests and, and demonstrations with fake blood and, and yelling at people that are very powerful, but they're also storming into public schools and trying to give teenagers information about what safe sex is because they weren't getting it at all. And um, in the sex scenes in this movie, the characters make a point to talk about condom use and to and you see them open condoms and go to use them. And I know that that seems like kind of a, a minor thing, but we talk about how important representation is in storytelling when we talk about people's identities. But representation is also important for things like safe sex. When we see it in our media, we put it into practice in our lives. And safe sex saves lives. It just does. I'm very passionate about sex education. And um, this movie isn't just about sex education. It's about real people that lived and died. It's about their stories and their passions. And um, But the fact that it also educates at the same time is another thing that makes it so great. Um, I left the, I watched this movie and I sobbed through it and, you know, probably like 20 or 30 minutes into this movie, I thought this is one of the best movies I've ever seen. You know, very, you know, on Letterboxd, we rate movies by stars. And this was a movie that I just knew instantly as I was watching it, like, this is a five star movie. I, I was so, so blown away by it. Um, it might 
It's number three on my list right now. It might be higher if I have to, if I sit with it more days, you know? I think the fact that it's so fresh is holding me back from putting it higher on this list. Um, I think everyone should go see this movie. If you're in Nashville, it's playing at the Bell Court next week or this weekend, I believe. Um, so go see it at the Bell Court. Support queer storytelling. Um, the director who made this film lived this movement. He was a part of the ACT UP coalition in France in the early 90s. So these are the stories of his and his friends. And um, like I said, I, I was I was blown away by it. Um, so go see this movie. It says so much about where we were then, but also so many things about where we need to be and where we are now. So yeah, that's BPM is my number three. <sighs> mm. All right, Lawson, what's your number three movie? My number three movie is Call Me By Your Name. Um, three feels too low for this movie to me, <laughs> but um, I think, Lucas, I'll, I'll definitely second everything that you have already said about it. I don't know if any other movie did a better job of making me feel this year than Call Me By Your Name. Um, I felt so intensely during watching this Start to finish, right? I mean, from the first frame, you're in a completely different world in this movie. Um, you know, Sunkissed Italy is just, it's its a completely different realm of reality, it feels like. But um, within this kind of fantasy storybook that it creates is the most real depiction I've ever seen of, a, of the beginning of a romantic relationship. And to me, it completely transcends the uh, genders of the main characters on screen. This... The love story that I saw on screen was a love story that I have felt was um mm -hmm. were feelings that I felt the longing the um the ache the um the fact that uh the beginning of a romantic relationship uh is so much about this rapturous joy but it's also so much about um this kind of as intense pain that I don't know it's just it's there's this up and down to it that I have never seen on screen before. Um, and whenever I watched this movie, I, I felt stirred in a, in a way that um, I didn't know a movie could do. Um, I was so, so utterly touched by it. It's, it's the most beautiful and romantic movie I've seen in maybe my whole life, at least in a decade. Um, and I, I just completely adored it. Um, and the... Beyond that, I was so appreciative of um, the parents in this film. Um, it, there's a lot of dynamics going on with um, age, and I, there's plenty of things that can feel um, off about this movie. I don't know if off is the right word, but the things that I went into it worried about, I, I suppose, that I didn't know how it was going to play out. But the way that it did play out was, was just so, so full of love. Um, and especially the relationship that um, plays out between um, the parents and son in this uh, really, really moved me. Um, there's a speech at the end um, with between the father and son that is uh, remarkable. And the thing about this movie that struck me um, as much as anything um, is this emphasis on being with someone who is good. Um, more than someone who is interesting, more than someone who can impress, more than any of those things. Um, the relationship here is celebrated because it is two people who 
are, you know, complicated and have their own complexes about different things and are arrogant and are flighty and are all these different things. But at, at their core, they are two people who are good and being together creates more good. And, um, mm -hmm. and that's a really, really special thing to see on screen. And the way that they put this, they show that is, um, is just remarkable. Um, movie's also remarkably funny and just gorgeous <laughs> and all these different things that it's a real, you know, uh, a spectrum of emotion and there's slow moments, there's fast moments, there's everything in it. But um, overall, I was just completely awestruck by the beauty of this film. Uh, and in a different year, it would be number one. And even though I have two other movies above this, I feel very comfortable saying this movie um, made me feel um, with more intensity than any movie uh, this year. I loved it. Well, I'm going to follow up by saying that Call Me By Your Name was my number two movie of the year. Yeah. Um, I've talked enough about Call Me By Your Name on this <laughs> podcast, so I won't say much. I loved what you just said, though, Lawson, about these characters being good and how important that is to the story. Um, Call, you, Call Me By Your Name is an honest story, a realistic story about falling in love. It's also a little bit of a fairy tale, and mm. I love fairy tales, so that is not a diss. Um, I love how ideal this movie is in so many ways, except for one heartbreaking way, you know, and th mm. that it's supposed to be, and that in the way that time is a villain for us all, and <laughs> yeah. and no one can escape time. Um, yeah, and I... I I had so many incredibly complex emotions about this film that are still developing. Um, but it's, you know, I, w I went into this movie expecting it to be one of my all-time favorite movies of the year. And it is. It's my number two. And it's also um, one that all three of us have on our top ten list. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. true. Um, Lucas, what is your number two movie of the year? My number two movie of the year is Get Out. Um, this movie, like, like you said, Sandra, is... I think the movie of the year, as far as America goes, I think this is equally loved. Um, and I would am voting for it for best, not voting. I don't get to vote, but I would vote <laughs> for it for best picture. Um, I just think this is a, an incredible movie with so much, so much talent behind it from every perspective, um, directing, writing, cinematography, acting, everything, um, coming out of this movie was fantastic. Twinsies. Lawson, your number two of the year? <laughs> My number two of the year is Get Out. Yeah. Um, this, uh, I'm trying to think of another movie like this. I feel like it's kind of like when Beauty and the Beast was nominated for Best Picture. It's like the fact that a movie that bends genre and is not a traditional pick um, for Best Picture is in the running for that, and everyone seems to agree that, yep, yeah, that definitely deserves to be in that category, and I, I would love for it to win. It, it just it speaks so much about how incredibly well put together this movie. There's not a single flaw in this movie. I mean, it's incredible start to finish, and it's one of those rare films that, to me, um, it, it doesn't. It will be one of the most important movies of the decade. It's certainly the I feel like the most important movie I've seen this year. Um, and it came out, what, 10 months ago? And yeah, it's February. Yeah, February. And it still feels just completely uh, prescient and um, and so meticulously thought through and thought out. It's every time I have rewatched it, I have gotten more from it. Um, and 
it's just, uh, it's, it's so good. I would never have guessed that I would have, I'm not like a big thriller fan. And whenever I do watch a thriller, it's usually, if I like it a lot, it's usually nowhere near a top 10. And this is a movie that I want to win best picture. Um, I, I adored it. The biggest thing for me was, um, how incredibly it put you in the perspective of uh, the protagonist in this as a black man in a place that felt very unwelcoming, very unfriendly and unnerving um, in all the ways that it showed um, acting, uh, downplaying things. And I just, it, it's such an important film because it used all of the um, tricks that filmmakers have to make you sympathize with someone, to make you see something from someone's perspective. It used them perfectly to transport every audience member into this perspective that is shown this like first person ish perspective that is shown so rarely on film. And, um, and beyond that, it was just a really smart, uh, movie, incredibly well acted and, um, perfectly written. I, it was great. You know, also one thing that I'm, I think is such a cool mark of a movie's like importance and relevance is when, something from that movie becomes, like, a term that gets used in conversation all the time. Yeah. And, like, the sunken place is now, like, going to be forever a part of our cultural language. Yep. Yeah. So true. Yeah. Okay. Lucas, why don't you tell us about your number one pick of the year? Oh, by the way, Get Out was also on all three of our lists. That's <laughs> yeah. That's special true. thing. Yeah. yeah. All right, Lucas, what's your number one pick? My number one pick of the year is Columbus. This movie was Whoa. in Incredible, guys. I cannot tell you how much um, I was blown away by this movie. Again, this is such a such a clean movie. Everything is so precise and like meticulously placed. Um, this I feel like this is my I think this is my favorite uh, debut director or debut direction of a film. Like um, and I mean, having it over Get Out, I think shows yeah. that but yeah. i think ever like this is incredible the 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 writing um is so sparse the conversations are so just intense and perfect um and like i i don't want to spoil it there's so much i feel like i want to talk about with spoilers for this film but um it's just about friendship and love and moving on and i think it's I think it's a perfect film. Lucas, this is also my number one movie of the year. What? Yeah. Yep. Oh, man. Uh, yeah. And so that's uh, the uh, the final movie that we all have on our list. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, uh, you know, I talked about this on the podcast right after I saw it for the first time. And when I, t and I re listened to that episode recently, and I said in that episode, you know, the last time I felt something like this about a movie was when I saw The Handmaiden. And that was my number one movie of last year. Mm -hmm. And so it's very fitting that it's my number one movie this year. The Columbus is my number one movie this year, I should say. Um, this is a movie that spurred me to, like, go on a road trip to see this town. Like, I saw this movie, and the very next weekend, I had to put myself in that town because I was so moved by the movie, but also by the buildings in this movie. Um, I got myself there. I took pictures. I put myself in the place of this movie. Um, I was lucky enough that 
the weekend I was there, John Cho, the star, and Koganada, the director, were nearby doing a Q&A screening of the film. So I got to see it a second time with nice. the director and the Ooh. star there. Um, seeing the movie a second time after being in the city is such an amazing experience because one thing you realize after you've been to Columbus is that every scene in this movie makes geographical sense in the arc of the story. So oftentimes when you're watching a movie, um, if you've been to the place where the movie is being filmed, you might be like, oh, that building isn't anywhere near that building. You know, they <laughs> right. were just in one and now they're in another. Or, you know, like we live in Nashville and there's the show Nashville. And I remember a scene where they like walked out of one building and then all of a sudden they're walking on a bridge that's like so far away from that. Mm. You know, they, people do that just for a pretty shot. Or you'll they'll be walking down a street and you'll be like, no one sells coffee on that street. That's not what this city is actually like. In this movie, if a character is in one place and starts looking at a building across the street, that building is actually across the street. If a character happens to see another character at an inn or a hotel, it's because it would have made sense for them to see them there. If you see characters... Everything makes perfect sense. When you're walking around that town, you're like, they didn't fudge a single detail. They didn't make anything convenient for themselves. If you grew up in Columbus, you would watch this, I would imagine, you would watch this movie and say, yes, this is my home. Everything makes sense about this movie. In fact, when I was at that Q&A, there were a lot of people who were from Columbus who said that exact same thing, who said, you made a movie about my life, essentially, and what it was like to grow up here. And, um, and it's about the city, but it's also about these characters and their very personal stories that I relate to very deeply about responsibility to parents and whether you accept that or shirk that responsibility. It's about how your parents are a part of your identity in ways that you might like or not. Um, it's, it's about dreams and putting dreams on hold. And, and it's about growing up and about being an adult and not understanding whether you're grown up yet. Um, it is such a moving, moving film. And, and like both of y'all have said, it's so sparse and quiet and slow. And those are not typically my favorite kind of movies, but in this one, it is the perfect atmosphere. Mm -hmm. And, um, I, I want everyone to see this movie. Like I said earlier, um, I, it's not the kind of movie that gets award buzz, but in a perfect world, it would be. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was incredibly moving and I, and I love it. I love knowing that everything was shot as it laid. Yeah. That just feels so true to the theme of the movie and what the movie is trying to say. And the beauty of reality, I'm not against special effects. I'm not movies with big budgets. I'm not against any of those things. Or even, you know, every movie lies in one way or another in the way that it shoots something or portrays something because you're trying to do more than be a documentary if you're doing a narrative film. Absolutely. But the fact that they went to a place and honored the beauty of a space and honored the place enough to say, I can make something beautiful from what already is, is so touching to me and makes gives me even more appreciation for what they did. Yeah. I love that. All right, Lawson, 
Let's finish it off. What's your number one movie of the year? Haha, <laughs> it is another slow, quiet film <laughs> called bow, Star bow. Wars The Last Jedi. <laughs> oh my god. Um I feel real weird about this being my number one. You shouldn't. Uh it is so good. Yeah. I remember seeing this movie and thinking I, I, as I said, when I walked out of the, it was my best movie going experience of the year. I walked out completely speechless and then ceased to be speechless for a month. Like <laughs> I cannot stop talking about this movie and what it is doing. Um, it is such an over, I made a joke on Twitter that like Ryan Johnson is enlightened and we will look back at this movie as a turning point in our consciousness as, as a people. And that's, I was trying to be funny, but I was not being dishonest in how I feel about this movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, these films have a special... This is not a perfect movie by any means. There are plenty of nits I can pick about it. But these films have a special place in not just our culture, but the culture of the world, but especially our culture in the United States and in North America. And they are they are our myths. They are um, the religion of the non-religiously affiliated. They are the, the common language of a people... Uh, dis- dispersed across so many different dialects and uh and dissimilar experiences there is something so universal and tapped into who you are about the star wars movies and that's like i get that at a certain point this is a franchise that like tries to sell toys and action figures but there's something so incredibly joseph campbell and like hero's journey about this whole thing that made the fact that this movie said the things it said completely overwhelm me the the idea that it would take uh hero the hero myth the um the fact that there is this superhero that there are these um the skywalker family and that it would turn that into something wholly different to honor the humanity within each of these characters by saying that they are all imperfect and that every single character that we can look to as something of aspir- as something aspirational has their own fault flaws is the most empowering thing I can possibly think of if you if you are if you can never be Luke Skywalker because Luke Skywalker uh, was you know uh, born of the perfect lineage then you can try but you can't you can never truly feel like that's something that you can get towards whenever you are an equal to the greatest bloodline in the universe and you're you know coming out of nowhere and you're somebody sweeping a a a, a stall in a farm that's that's something wholly different and the the character dynamics in this are incredible the way that it challenges brash heroes the way that it challenges um patriarchy white supremacy all of the things in this movie get challenged get turned on their heads get subverted i feel like this movie didn't just do what upset so many fans on certain quarters of the internet by turning star wars upside down but i feel like it turned the way that we tell stories upside down um because every expectation i had going into this movie was completely subverted and was immeasurably better for it um I went in expecting having a fun time at a Star Wars movie. I felt like I walked out with my whole paradigm shifted. Gosh, it just it feels it feels like 
I am not somebody who grew up on Star Wars. I'm not somebody who, I, I mean, I obviously saw them when I was growing up, but I was never like dressed up as Star Wars as a kid or did the whole thing. But just what this says about what it is to do good in the world and what it is to try and what it is to lead and what it is to be a hero and what it is to be somebody who is not a main character and still have matter, still matter and still have paramount importance as much importance as anybody who could be considered a main character is just is so beautiful and so important and i am fumbling over every word i have about this film because i have so so many and um i cannot wait to continue talking people's ear off about this movie uh for years and i'm i'm excited for the next movie and whatever happens but part of me is also so thankful for the next two years in which this is the summation of where Star Wars has come. I think it's only going to get better. I think it's only going to like enrich and everything, but I could never get another Star Wars movie and be perfectly happy and content. Um, yeah, this is, it's my best movie of the year and it's kind of unfair because other movies, no other movies can be Star Wars. And so no other movies doing this kind of thing could have this kind of impact on me, but it used everything in its arsenal to, um, changed the way I saw the world. And I'm, I'm so thankful for that. Yeah. I have seen Star Wars Little Last Jedi twice. And now that I've like done with my month of like catching up before this episode, <laughs> I plan on seeing it at least one more time in theaters before it leaves. Maybe two more times. I want to too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, we did it, guys. Our top 10. So before we move on to a few more fun questions... Let's go over some honorable mentions. Lucas, what are some of your ones that didn't quite make the list but that you want to bring up anyway? Um, well, obviously, Thelma Dunkirk and Big Sick um, were three that you guys talked about that were just like right on the border for me. Um, also, Lady Macbeth um, was an excellent movie that I think everybody should see and is an amazing direct director debut that I think he's going to do some great stuff. Um, I also loved um, Your Name which we didn't talk about but Yeah, me too, Lucas. That that movie was one that I thought was going to be on my on my list and just barely got squeaked off. So that is an excellent excellent movie. But yeah, those are I think those those are the ones that I want to bring up. Lawson, what about you? I mean, there are only like four other movies not on my list that I saw <laughs> this year. Um, but uh definitely I mean uh, I, I, yeah, I, there were a lot of movies at our local art house theater that I wanted to see and just didn't. Um, but movies that I loved this year um, that are in the list, list are uh, Logan Lucky, um, uh, Spider-Man Homecoming was completely delightful. Yeah. Um, I also really liked uh, Logan, the Hugh Jackman movie. I was I thought that was a, a lot of fun and did a really cool thing with a superhero thing I hadn't seen before. It didn't feel like a superhero film. It felt um, more like a Western or noir, and I really dug it. Um, like I said, I have a top 25 and I'm going to post that list on Letterboxd that you can look at. Um, but what I think I'm going to do is I want to say there are a lot of movies with female protagonists that I loved this year that just didn't quite make it to my top 10. So I'd like to list a bunch of those. Um, I loved Molly's Game, The Glass Castle, Lady Bird, Mother, Patty Cakes, Professor Marston and the Wonder Woman, Battle of the Sexes, The Florida Project, I, Tanya, Princess Sid, tons of movies about just fascinating women. So those are all on my honorable mentions for the year. Um, yeah. Another question I wanted to ask y'all, 
This year, only nine movies were nominated for Best Picture, and I think that they can nominate ten movies if they want to. Mm -hmm. So if you got to pick a tenth movie to be nominated, um, what movie would you pick? Y'all made me want to change it to Columbus. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I, I put The Big Sick. Okay. That's the movie that I would love to see get the bump that comes from a Best Picture nomination. I think it definitely earns its place there. It does more than a traditional rom-com, and I think it was one of the best pictures of the year. Yeah. Lucas, what about you? Yeah, for me, um, I I mean, obviously, you guys know how I feel about Blade Runner. I would <laughs> I would bump Blade Runner up there. I feel like it's just a yeah. remarkable movie. But if, if, if not Blade Runner, I would put mm. Mudbound right. up in the list. Um. You know, for a while, I had Columbus in this spot because I love mm-hmm. it so much. But then after seeing BPM, um, I'm going to say BPM because Columbus is a movie that I love but would never fit into that best picture category. You know what I mean? It mm-hmm. just it doesn't belong there in a sad way. But BPM does feel like it belongs in that group and that it's an intense drama about an important part of her history. And um, it didn't get nominated for Best Foreign Picture this year. And that is a crying shame. Um, I'm really kind of dumbstruck and upset that it didn't get nominated um, for Best Foreign Picture. And, you know, if we were the kind of Oh, if, if the Oscars were the kind of award show that would be open to nominating foreign films in the Best Picture category, it rarely is. Um, this movie would perfectly fit into that category. Um, so BPM, I think, deserves that. Yeah. Um, so let's move on to a few fun questions that we asked ourselves last year that I want to ask again this year. What was y'all's most disappointing movie of 2017? A movie you were looking forward to seeing... You watched it, and then you're like, ugh, that's not yeah. what I wanted. For, for me, it definitely wasn't, I don't think, a bad movie, but it, I just had such high expectations for this movie that ultimately I was let down, um, was Murder on the Orient Express. Um, mm. And I don't know why I had such high expectations. <laughs> I've never really loved anything by Kenneth <laughs> Braun, but um, I just love Agatha Christie so much, and the cast in this is just so incredible that I just, I think... My expectations got out of hand, and it was it was still a lot of fun, but it was not a great movie. What about yeah. you, Lawson? My, I was most disappointed in seeing The Disaster Artist. Um, as I've said, I was just like, had scarcity for time, and this was one of the ones I decided to make room for before this year in review, and after I finished it, I was like, well, that wasn't worth this two hours. <laughs> oh. um, it was fun. I enjoyed it, but I expected it, especially with all the best actor buzz around the Golden Globes for James Franco, I expected there to be more to this movie than there was. It was really a fun movie. It did not at all seem like an Oscar or award-winning movie. It just felt like a, a fun movie that had a little bit more going for it than your traditional comedy. Yeah. Yeah. Mine was Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Um, I love the topic of feminine rage. That is, I think, something I'm so passionate about. And I expected this movie to be fully about that. And I was very disappointed in the turns it took and what the final result was. Um, I I say, I've said this before and I'll say it again. If this movie had been just about this feminine rage and revenge that I thought I was going to get from the trailer, I think I would have loved it, but it's not just about that. And, and I think it makes a lot of mistakes. 
Yeah, I don't know why this movie has any awards beyond Frances McDormand being nominated. Like, I didn't... This does not feel like an award-winning movie to me. It feels sloppy in so many... I thought it was fine, but it felt sloppy in so many ways. Yeah. I just... I'm confused by why it's getting so much lauding. Yeah. Yep. What was y'all's most surprisingly enjoyable movie? A movie that you didn't have high expectations for, and then you're like, oh, I really loved that movie. I had very low expectations for Beauty and the Beast. Um, oh. And, like, very, very low. Like, very Yeah, I mean, I, I low, also I still had very low expectations. <laughs> and I think because of that, like, getting to watch it, I waited until it came out on Netflix, and I watched it, and I was like, this was fun. Like, it definitely wasn't as good as the original Beauty and the Beast um, or as memorable, but I just had a lot of fun watching it. So I'm glad to hear that because I have enjoyed most of the live action remakes of yeah. these Disney movies that we've gotten so far. And I haven't seen Beauty and the Beast yet, but to hear that you had a good time with it, I'm really glad to hear that. Yeah. Because I, I will I will check it out at some point. Um Blossom, what about you? Uh mine was Logan Lucky. I have loved everything Soderbergh has done, and so I don't know why my why it was blown away. I just, I guess it had just been a while since I had seen a Soderbergh heist movie in a theater. And I went and I was like, this is the best. I'm so glad I've got to do this again. Mm -hmm. And I was also so, uh, struck by how, um, it felt so accurate and so affectionate in its portrayal of Southern people. And, um, without being, you know, pejorative or anything like that, I thought it was really a great time and had some interesting, uh, nuance to the performances that I wasn't expecting. I thought it was really great. Yeah. Um, mine was Mother. Mm. I went in <laughs> to Mother. Still hadn't seen it. Ugh. Really expecting to hate it. You know, kind of just seeing it to be part of the conversation, but not expecting to like it. And I walked out of that theater being like, I think I loved Mother. <laughs> and Lucas, I had such a fun time talking with you and Ben about that movie. Yeah. Um, I love how many different things Mother is trying to say, conversations <laughs> it's trying to start. Um, it's not a perfect movie, but it's one that almost made my top 10 because, again, it fell into that category of I couldn't get it out of my, out of my head. Yeah. You know, it, it made me think so deeply about it. And so... Um, yeah, I was very pleasantly surprised too. And I say surprisingly enjoyable. I wouldn't say mother is enjoyable, but I <laughs> love what it's doing. <laughs> um, so last year we asked the question, what movie are you most excited about for 2017? Do y'all remember what your answers were? Mine was The Glass Castle. Yeah. How did you feel about The Glass Castle? I really like The Glass Castle. It didn't make my list, but it is on my uh, top 25 yeah. for sure. Yeah, Lawson, do you remember yours? I don't. Yours was Star Wars The Last Jedi. No way! Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it really worked out for me. Nailed you. it. Oh, that worked out so well. Yeah. I can't <laughs> believe that. It didn't work out for me as well. Mine was Baby Driver, which had a lot of moments that I thought were very fun, but overall, you know, the movie wasn't, you know, a favorite of mine for the year. Yeah. Um, but I stand by that pick as, you know, a dedicated Edgar Wright fan. And mm -hmm. that trailer, like, gave you no reason to doubt that pick. Well, we hadn't had a trailer yet. Um, oh, at that point yeah. you were, okay, wow. Yeah. Um, so That pitch gave you no reason to doubt <laughs> Right, <laughs> right. Um, so, yeah, so those were our picks last year. Um, I wanted to see, you know, what we thought of them after, after have experienced the year. That's crazy. What are y'all most excited about for 2018? 
This is so easy for me. Go ahead, Lucas. Oh, no, you go. <laughs> yeah, you go, Lawson, if it's so easy. Got Black Panther. Yeah, like, it's really soon. Yeah, it's like in a w- couple weeks. Yeah. Um, the screen, the first screening of it was last night. Yeah, and yeah. the internet is on fire about yep. it. Right. Um, I've, man, like, this is a movie I've been looking forward to since 2013, 2012, something. Since they announced the Slate 3, um, they're the... The, what is it? Phase three slate of films. This has been one of the things I've been looking forward to the most, and every new detail I've heard about it has just made me more excited. So I, you know, part of me is like, well, okay, I'm just becoming the blockbuster guy. Um, but I but blockbusters are great for a reason. Yes, and I, I think this movie is going to do something very new and very great. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm. So stoked! I'm right there with you, Lucas. What's your What's the one you're most excited about for 2018? Well, I I definitely thought about Black Panther, but I think I like I and I'm obviously very excited for Black Panther as well as A Wrinkle Same. in Time. But the one that like just keeps bubbling up of me just can't like I cannot wait to find out more about this movie and for it to actually like happen um, is the movie Widows. It's directed by Stephen McQueen and written by uh, Gillian Flynn, and Ooh. I cannot wait the cast list is amazing but basically it's it? uh, so well it's the story is four widows um kind of come together to take control of their lives i would say in a, a probably in a heist ish kind of situation okay. um but and the four widows are elizabeth debecky um carrie coon um uh viola davis and i think jackie weaver um, but it's also got Colin Farrell, Daniel Kaluuya, Liam Neeson. Um, this movie is going to be insane. And That's I, stacked. I cannot. Oh, and Andre Holland um, is in it. I cannot wait. Cannot oh. wait for this movie. And Lucas, I didn't yeah. even know that movie was coming, and now I'm <laughs> so excited for it. Yeah, I have loved all of Stephen McQueen's movie. Um, 12 Years a Slave was incredible, and all of his work with Michael Fassbender is yeah. just insane. And so. Gone Girl, I know that, you know, it was based on the book from Gillian Flynn, correct? Yes, right? yes. Um, so Gone Girl is a story that is, like, I think so mm-hmm. amazing. And so to yeah. hear, to see another movie coming from that mind is, I'm very excited oh, for. I, for- I forgot to tell you the best part. It is based on an old British TV series. So Oh, <laughs> what that is. I think this is made for you. Yeah. Right on brand. Uh, well, the movie I'm most excited about for 2018 just premiered at Sundance and got a lot of good buzz. Um, it's called Eighth Grade, and it's the directorial debut of Bo Burnham. I'm really looking forward to that, too. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Bo Burnham is um, a person whose point of view I have admired for such a long time mm. um, as a writer, as a comedian. Um, I am really excited to see what his first film looks like. And the fact that it is about an eighth grade girl dealing with identity in a social media era, it, all of those things are just so up my alley. I could, this movie couldn't be more tailored for me. Um, so I'm really looking forward to that. Um, I've, I've heard amazing things about the film and about this um, actress who is a real like 14 year old that they found to play this, this role. Um, and that is always, I think, really important to me. So I, I'm really, I have high hopes for that. Yeah. Whenever I first saw, I saw the first article about that raving about her performance, and I, I'm super stoked for that too. Yeah. I just, I think it's going to be a real 
breakout for Bo Burnham. Everything he's done, he's always surprised everyone in the room with how well he did it. Right. So, yeah. Right. Stoked. Yep. Okay, well, that's it, guys. Do you have any final closing thoughts before we wrap up? Uh, there's one very important movie coming out this year that I think we all need to anticipate uh, in as much as we can, and that is Ocean's 8. Oh, yeah, that's yes. a big movie for us. Yes, it is the movie that started it all, in yeah. a sense, for us <laughs> um, at feeling it. And I am I think it's going to be a ton of fun. Uh, it's not my most anticipated of the year, but... Um, I'm probably gonna see it a couple times. Yeah, I'm I'm stoked for it. For sure. sure, that cast and everything about it, I just I love. Yeah. Okay. Well, before we say goodbye, one thing that I do want us to mention is that you know this podcast has typically been released on a weekly basis, and the past month or so, it's been released at unvarying levels of frequency. Um, we're gonna be switching this up to releasing the podcast every other week. Our schedules are a little bit busy. Um, and so we're expect us to still be releasing episode new episodes on Wednesdays, but um, for the foreseeable future, it's going to be every other Wednesday. We might throw in a few bonus episodes as we have time, um, but um, that's going to be our plan that we wanted to let everyone know about. And we thank you for listening to this episode. It's one of our favorite to record. Why don't we tell everyone where they can find us on the internet? Lawson, where can people find you? You can find me on Letterboxd, Instagram, Twitter, etc. at Lawson West. You can find me everywhere at Lucas and Stuff. And you can find me everywhere at Sandra Amstutz. My last name is spelled A-M-S-T-U-T-Z. Sorry, that's just automatic now. Um... We're all going to be putting our top 10, or in my case, top 25 lists on our letterbox. Um, so go check those out if you're on letterbox. Um, and you can find all of our podcast information on Twitter at Feeling It Pod. Bye bye. Adios. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Thank you. Goodbye, now. Goodbye. Go away. I'll see you soon, okay? That's it. Go home. Yep. Yeah. Moving along, Padre. Goodbye, old friend. That's it. That's our show for tonight, people. 